0: Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started! I absolutely enjoyed my conversation with Ariel Maldonado. She has been instrumental in helping us build out Breaking Green Ceilings, branding, content, and messaging strategy on Instagram, and she also shares some of her strategy in this episode. Ariel is a really good person to hear from because she has been able to convert her frustration with the general lack of interest for the environment into content that has gained the attention of close to 50,000 followers on her Instagram and counting She started the page as she was finishing up her BFA in ceramics with no expectations but to make people care and choose environmentally friendly options whenever possible I admire Ariel's thoughtfulness in creating meaningful content that resonates with thousands of people across the world but is also based on facts and appeals to our humanity and does so with empathy Ariel is the quintessential environmentalist who takes time To educate herself about the issues, verifies the information, and shares to inspire. So let's get into it and hear from Ariel. I thought we could start by just understanding a little bit more about what your experiences were growing up and how it shaped your perception about the natural world.
1: Let's see. So, growing up, I would say being like in a Hispanic household, definitely obviously shaped me. I think that my grandparents, both of them had like these giant gardens. Well, one of my grandpamas, she had desert garden, which was different than, you know, a garden that you'd probably find in someone's backyard. Mm-hmm. But both of them like had a green thumb and I feel like that kind of got passed down to me because I definitely have a green thumb. I don't know if I really appreciated it until more recently. My parents and family, we never really were particularly like super outdoorsy. It wasn't something that anybody growing up would have necessarily identified me and been like, oh yes, she's an outdoorsy person. She loves nature. I think I was a normal city girl. I mean, I was raised to appreciate and understand facts and that science is science. But other than that, I don't think that if you had seen me as a child, you would have necessarily been like, oh yes, she's on a path to be an environmentalist in any way shape or form
0: yeah I mean the vision of that or the imagery was kind of funny I was just like imagining a little girl
1: yeah holding like a bunch of
0: flowers and just like running around in your grandma's garden just you know saying
1: I'm gonna save the environment when I grow up (laughs) I would never say that I was particularly like connected to nature in any way More than the average person, you know, like some people love hiking and camping from like a really young age. Last time I went to Big Bear with my family, my grandpa has like a really big cabin, not a big cabin. He's got a big lot, but a very small cabin. So my family went to go outside and they slept in a tent because there's no room for everybody else inside. It's like one bedroom and super tiny built in like the 1920s. And I was like, I'm not sleeping out there. I'm sleeping on the couch. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't say that like, if you saw me, you would have been, yeah, you would have felt like, oh, this is the girl that's going to be doing something for the planet one day. <laughs> yeah. Now I hear you. I, I
0: totally understand where you're coming from. I think like for me, I've only been camping, I think twice in my life. And while I love nature and appreciate it and like being in it, I don't think I like to sleep on the ground and
1: in a tent. Yes, definitely not.
0: <laughs> I think I've had my share of sleeping on the floor in like families' houses when we were visiting in India and we didn't have space. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all sleeping on these very thin mattresses on the cold ground or in like the heat of and the humidity of Mumbai. I was like, been there, done that. I would really like just a decent place to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't think like if you are a lover of nature that you have to like camping. I mean, that's what I thought
1: (laughs) for some time. Yeah, that's. My perception was very much of a city person. Like, oh, if you love nature, you really want to be up in it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So we were just talking about how there's this perception of if you like nature, then you were automatically the kind of person who would like to sleep in a tent and just like not have a shower for several days and just, you know, kind of smell like nature after a few days of hiking. but. (laughs) Yeah, I I totally hear you. And I think you're so lucky to also be a green thumb because I've definitely killed some succulents by accident. (laughs) And apparently those are really hard to do. I was told it's hard to kill a succulent, but not for me. (laughs) So I wanted just to talk a little bit about Go Green, Save Green, which is your Instagram account. And you have close to 50,000 followers, which is just crazy yeah. <laughs> for somebody who really doesn't interact that much in social media but starting to do that more I think 50,000 is still a lot given by like social media standards I guess and it's really cool that you have 50,000 followers and you're talking about environmental issues so how did Go Green Save Green come about?
1: So it came about I actually know the date it's- is April thirtieth, twenty eighteen, mm. at around eleven thirty p.m. I only know that because it was right before finals. Like I think it was like the week before finals started. And well, as an art student, because my background isn't even in environmentalism; it's it's an art. So as an art student, I was in the studio late at night, frantically working on my senior art show, and I had been increasingly concerned with the state of the environment. I was just seeing more things on social media from large media outlets like now this, AJ+, CNN, just, you know, like all these different outlets on social media that were like, yo, the environment's an issue. And I started seeing it more and more often. And it started kind of creating a sense of internal panic in me. And I want to say when I saw the documentary, What the Health, about veganism, it really kind of really sent me into like panic mode. And so I had all this like nervous energy that I didn't really know what to do with. And so I started researching all these ways how I could be more eco-friendly just like on my own, but I'm not the type of person that can just like find information and keep it to myself. Like if I find an interesting article, tweet, whatever, like I have to share it with somebody. And so I would find myself constantly like inserting this information. And finally my roommates were like, yo, why don't you make like a YouTube channel? And I was like, no, that's not (laughs) happening. Like just flat, no, I'm not a YouTuber. I don't even know how to make a video or have the time or do any of that. And YouTubers are really mean. The comments anyways, like are really mean. And I was like, nope, that's not any of it. And so then they were like, well, what about, I think it was my boyfriend maybe. It was like, what about an Instagram? And I was like, maybe, like I wasn't as turned off because I was like, there could definitely be like a level of anonymity Mm -hmm. with an Instagram. And it was really important to me that my Instagram not be about like me and my personal journey, because I had already seen a lot of people that were like, this is my low waste journey. This is my vegan journey. This is my environmental journey. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be more like a resource where even if you looked at my account and you're not a Mexican woman in a really big city that you felt like the information was pertinent to you, regardless of like... The nuances of my identity. And I felt like when you were looking at people who were promoting their particular lifestyle, the nuances of their identity, whether it was intentional or not, really mattered. Because if you're not a stay at home suburban mom of three kids, you're probably not going to find the Instagram of a suburban mom who's staying at home with her three children as relevant to you. As you would a more like neutral source of information. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I had all these different things that I was thinking about. You know, I was like, I want people to know that I'm a person of color and I want people to know that I'm a woman, but I don't want people to be thinking that because they don't feel like they can align themselves perfectly with me, that there isn't something here to offer. And so I made my first post. My roommate came up with the name, actually. I should give him credit. Shout out to Eric. He hears this. He listens to all my podcasts and stuff. Very supportive. So he came up with the handle, and I made my first post at around 1130 at night, and it was about bamboo toothbrushes. <laughs> and I don't know who I thought I was going to see a post at 1130 at night from a brand new account that like nobody had heard of or spoken of or whatever. It was very like on a whim. But yeah, I made it, and... From the get-go, it was, let me share articles that I'm finding and let me sprinkle in humor and let me share quick bits of information like infographics. And let me just share as much information as I can find with as many people as are willing to listen.
0: Yeah. It's funny that your first post was of uh, babooch toothbrushes. How is that? (laughs) (laughs) Like what... uh...
1: I'm just curious what made you
0: choose that to be your (laughs) first
1: post. (laughs) I think because I was like, okay, because in my head, I was like, I want this to be about things that are accessible, right? Something that was very, very important to me was like, at the time that I made this, I was coming from the perspective of a super broke college student, like broker than broke college student, right? And so in my head, I was like, can't afford a tesla i can't afford solar panels i don't even have a place to put solar panels on and if i did i wouldn't even have the money to afford them so to me i was thinking a lot about accessibility and when you're thinking about accessibility from like the very very bottom you're thinking about like okay well what's something that like regardless of where you live You're going to have a toothbrush, right? Like whether you live in a hut or a house or a mansion or an apartment or a condo, like you're probably going to have a toothbrush. Hopefully. And yeah, and like you're going to use that toothbrush, you know, not everybody uses a car. So I was thinking like everyone is going to use a toothbrush. Everyone needs to buy a toothbrush. Bamboo toothbrushes seem like a pretty seamless swap. I really overthought it because I was like, if I ask people to do something big like like go vegan or compost, it's gonna be like no. But if I just tell someone, hey, this thing that you already do every single day, you can just make it a little bit more eco-friendly. Maybe people will be more receptive to that concept. Yeah. And so that was like what I thought about.
0: <laughs> I do not think that you overthought this at all. That was just absolutely genius. I think oftentimes we we're so eager to get people to change their behavior that I think like at least in the environmental world, we, we tend to want people to just start making these big changes in their lives because the environment needs it, but we don't realize at the same time that it's not so easy for majority of people to make these major changes in their lifestyle because of economic issues or like you said, accessibility. You know, yeah. and lately I've just been feeling like the burden on the individual is just far greater than what it is on like corporations. I feel like we're so hard on ourselves to to do the right thing, and I think most of us do, which is great. So I really like that you started off small. You started off with an achievable step, and you're not asking somebody to just become a vegan tomorrow. It's yeah. a process. That's really hard. So 2018, fast forward at this point in your, in sort of like the evolution of your account and also of yourself, have you
1: changed since you started the account? And if so, how? I definitely think that I have changed a lot since I started. When I started, I was in college and you're basically taught to eat, drink, sleep, poop art. And so even something as simple as doing laundry was a burden. So I would literally wake up, go to the art studio, spend 14-hour days there. They still think it wasn't enough. Go home, go to sleep, do it all over again. And it got to the point where if I missed a day or two days, if I wasn't there for a total of 48 hours, 24 to 48 hours, it felt like I had been gone an eternity. Like It's probably the closest to an addiction that I've ever had. And so I really felt like I didn't have time for anything. And so I was looking for things that, what can I do to seamlessly switch this out into my life? What are the things that are like the most convenient? So not just bamboo straw or not just bamboo toothbrushes, but something like a safety razor. That was probably one of my other posts. I mean, in art school, you have a ton of smokers, right? So then I did a post very early on about like electric lighters because I was like, it's really easy to charge a lighter as opposed to constantly having to get new lighters, which just essentially are not just only really horrible for the environment, but on top of that, they are disposable. So I was really focused on things that were seamless And now I'm focused more on how can you change and add things into your life? So how can you slowly swap veganism, right? Like, how can you slowly start to build that into your life? How can you start to compost? How can you start to do things like mending your clothes? And I feel like the page has changed a lot because I'm in the beginning, I was really only focused on, hey, this is a problem this is the eco-friendly swap and this is why you should care about this problem. So now I'm realizing that all the information that I had that got me here, I didn't start to care about the environment just because somebody told me there was a swap, right? So I constantly asked myself if I was on the other side of my page, what would I want to see? And so I started sharing news articles. I started sharing infographics. I started sharing memes. I started sharing a lot more context to give people insight as to why these changes mattered beyond the fact that toothbrushes are littering the beach or littering the whole planet, you know? Why does it matter that toothbrushes are littering the planet? Why should you care that that's happening, you know? So I started to think a lot more bigger picture and I started to think outside of myself. I've started to try to consider other perspectives, you know, like not just my own, but single moms or families that people are working on multiple jobs I've started to think about kids who want to implement these things, but their parents won't let them because they're like, that's not how I do things. And that's not what we're going to do in this household. So I started to think about a lot more different perspectives and different lifestyles. What are the struggles of somebody who lives in a rural community where nobody wants to listen to that, libertari- like, <laughs> that liberal science? So like, I try to think about issues that go beyond myself. And how I can address those issues so that people that don't necessarily lead a lifestyle that has the luxuries and privileges that I have can tackle these issues. I mean, I'm still very broke. I live in a city and I have a tiny little car, but I do have my own place. You know, I mean, not completely my own. I I live with my boyfriend, but at least I have the autonomy to decide how I run my household. And I realize that so many people don't even have that basic decision. That's something that like I hadn't considered before, you know? And so I try to think about all these little things that I might take for granted and like how I can help educate and uplift others. I think because I have worked
0: on environmental issues for so long and just like worked primarily on water education and thinking about how water users can, how we can get them to change their behavior. Now working on this podcast, I'm thinking about a different type of content is, yes, I I want to share this information with the rest of the world on the importance of diversity and inclusion in the environmental movement. But, you know, I feel like I have to remind myself again, who is my audience and what do they want to learn while I'm also teaching them something new? It's just like this fine balance. Is there a way that you can convince someone through your content from being aware to changing behavior? So you're sharing these tips on environmentally friendly products that people can use. Is there any specific words or messaging that you use to get someone to take that leap of investing in that eco friendly product or? wanting to educate themselves more about like a specific article that you shared? Mm -hmm.
1: I would say one of the biggest ones, and this works especially well with reusables or renewable energy, is money. Money is a huge motivator, right? So people, when I mean, I've shared, there are topics that most topics I revisit every few months because I'm gaining followers. So I I know that in a few months from now, I'm going to have maybe like, 6,000 more people who have never heard about this one topic. And so just because I addressed it when I had 18,000 followers, you know, now that I'm almost at 50, like I should probably retouch some topics, you know, go back and over them. And so for example, one of those topics that I go over fairly regularly is menstrual products. And so when I'm talking about that, I say like, Hey girls, menstruators of all types, if you want to save money, this is something you can do that not only saves you money, but it helps out the environment. You're not constantly putting your money towards something that's literally going to be in the trash. You're not buying pre-trash. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's definitely one thing that I do if I can figure out a way to get people to be like, Hey, not only is this better for you, not only is this better for the environment, but it's better for your wallet because you know, times are tough and there's nothing more stressful than when you're already running on empty financially and then your period hits and you're like, how am I going to buy this? Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, not just for that, like, I don't know other things like razors, right? Like safety razors was another one that I was able to do that with, but outside of money, I would say quite frankly, for anyone to be an environmentalist, there needs to be a level of empathy already present. So, I understand from the beginning that there's going to be a group of people that are never going to care or want to care, or they're always going to find some reason why they should not pick the option of most convenience, right? Like, well, this is the most convenient thing for me. And so that's why I'm going to do it because why would I not pick that option? So, I've definitely learned when to pick my battles. So, I have to operate as though everyone that I'm dealing with has a level of empathy, not just for. Other people, but for other beings and creatures and stuff like that. So, whenever like a huge crisis like Australia or the Amazon burning or anything like that happens, it's a really good thermometer for me to be able to see, like, okay, how are people reacting to this? Obviously, there's a ton of likes, there's a ton of shares, but are people asking me where they can donate? Are people asking me what accounts they can follow to get more information about it? Right. My account is kind of like a jack of all trades, but master of none. So when people ask me, hey, where can I find more information on this topic or this issue or this crisis that's happening? That to me is like, oh, okay, cool. Like I've done my job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And humor also works a lot. You know, if you can kind of make a joke out of something, I think if the biggest thing that I've learned throughout all this is humor is the biggest tool that's like completely undervalued, underrated not used enough. I think if we used more humor to address issues, people would be more likely to
0: act. Yeah, because you're using a non-judgmental or like a less sad tone. Yeah. I think that's the way humans are most receptive (laughs) to comedy. Yeah,
1: and you do need a little pizzazz. I mean, I hate to say it, like I feel, you know, there's always, in academia, there's always like a looking down upon people that need if you need it to be interesting, like if you need a picture book, you're really not that smart, right? Like you should be able to read that super dense textbook with like single spacing, 12 font, and you should be able to find it interesting as is. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't want to preach to the choir. So I'm preaching to the people that need the picture books. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And I don't think it's bad that they need it.
0: Like, <laughs> not at all. And I think it's just like a really smart way of communicating. We don't have to be so kind of... Mean. <laughs> yeah or snooty about yeah. <laughs> the degrees we have or what level of reading yeah. we have you know that's it's not the point the point is to be able to be relatable and to be empathetic like you said and to really get people to buy into this common cause you know at the end of the day we're really trying to appeal to the humanity in our society to actually do something about improving environmental sustainability so I really like your approach. A confirmation of that is the number of followers you
1: have, which is great. Yeah. Oh, and another thing, another small thing that I would say is important is that like the environmental movement is clean in the sense that like most topics in the environmental movement are children friendly, right? And so another element that I've added into my page is that I'm not scared to talk about things that are not the most PG-13. So I've definitely talked about things like environmentally friendly sex practices, environmentally friendly birth control options, the impacts of weed and alcohol, the impacts of various drugs, because regardless of my feelings or thoughts on them, there are certain things that I post about because I realize that I have a responsibility, regardless of my personal beliefs on the matter or not, that I need to share the information. So do I believe that you know, people should be out there doing coke? No, it's super destructive to the Amazon. But me not putting out that information because I don't want to be associated with that or whatever, at least I can educate somebody out there who's doing that type of thing. Like, this is the impact that that has. And so, me not shying away from topics that, you know, others might be like, you're going to talk about that. I think it's also something that's helped me a lot because I'm willing to talk about the things that we don't talk about, but we need to.
0: Yeah, I just love that because you are integrating every single element of our being from like an environmental perspective, which is yeah. awesome, you know, because <laughs> we've been using the same, like, like you were saying, the same menstrual products that are really bad for the environment and the same diapers and Yeah, I I recently learned about eco-friendly sex products. I was like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) you know, this is, yeah, it's this whole economy that's kind of unfolding or blooming before us. And I never thought that there would be an opportunity for this type of market, which is great. And, you know, also we've just seen the same products in the market for several years. So that's all we thought was available, that it couldn't get any more environmentally friendly, but it can. Yeah, Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Ashley, is you mentioned that you are an artist by training and it's crazy that you had such an intense college or academic experience of creating art. I think it's kind of like the opposite of creativity, right? It's like you've been you're being forced to go into the studio to create something for several hours straight. And I didn't know that it was like that for some art students.
1: Oh, it's like that for most art students. I mean, let me just say this. One time a professor, this was between a professor that I love dearly, and she was really cool. And one of my friends, I heard her ask him like, oh, how long have you been here today? And he was like, oh, I've been here 12 (laughs) hours. And she was like, oh, that's cute. And it was unhealthy. I mean, they really push you to constantly, you know, Spend every waking moment there. And free time, no, that does not exist. Like if you want to be an artist, you need to go through the motions. And the only way you can do that is by making. And if you're not making, you're not an artist. Like you're not an artist just because you paid the tuition and sat in class. So the people that want to be there will be there. The people that are there are gonna know who's there and who's not.
0: Wow, that's like even more intense than feel my graduate and undergraduate. Experiences, yeah, and um, you
1: can't, you can't cheat. You know, like there's no. That's the thing about art school is there's no way you can cheat. Like you can't. (laughs) There's, you're never going to be able to like look at someone else's paper or steal someone else's. I mean, at most you can steal an idea from somebody, but like, I'm never going to be able to show up to my final class, and if I didn't spend fifty hours on that thing, you're going to know that it was kind of just not as good as you know other stuff I had made.
0: Yeah that's such a good point i never thought about <laughs> that <laughs> like oh ariel made the same ceramic clay pot as i don't know joe schmo
1: yeah and even if i did make the same pot who made it better if you made it better then it doesn't, if you made it better it doesn't matter that i made the same thing because it was just a crappy knockoff <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so our song really intense <laughs> that's crazy Does your passion for environmental
1: issues, does that translate into your art? That's actually where I'm at currently. Like I said, I started this account right when I graduated. So all the art and everything that I had made throughout my college years had nothing to do with the environment whatsoever. And it wasn't until literally like a week before I graduated that I realized like this is something that I wanted to do. So now that I've graduated and everything... I mean, everyone goes through a period, well, most people go through a period after they graduate where life is kind of turbulent, you know, and you're like, things are unstable, you've just left school and not necessarily with a job guaranteed or whatever. So I kind of went mm-hmm. through that turbulent year myself where the access that I had to even making art like, was not there. So I've recently you know, steadied myself out and stabilized myself to a point where now I have an art studio again. And now I'm thinking about like, okay, how do I incorporate environmentalism into my art making? Is it through the materials that I'm using? Is it through the how I'm sourcing materials? Am I thinking about the impact of my art? Am I thinking about the messaging of my art? You know, is it enough for me to make art that I would have otherwise made even if I didn't care about environmentalism? But I'm using materials that maybe I'm saving stuff from going to the trash. And that's How my environmentalism is seeping in? Or do I have to make art that is directly talking about the environmental crisis? So I'm just like asking myself all these questions and I'm in the process of figuring out how the environment incorporates itself into my work, but it's definitely there.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'd love to see it whenever you've completed the project. So as you continue on this journey, what's your vision for change through the work that? you're doing through your Instagram account?
1: My vision is that I will hopefully be your gateway into caring. So I'm not hoping to talk to just people who are in the business already or, you know, living perfect zero waste lives or educators or academics. I understand that like you guys already have this, right? And I love the work that they're doing, but I also realize that we need more people to care and we need more people to act. So I'm hoping to act as kind of a gateway so that people that maybe never thought of themselves as environmentalists... I mean, there's still a lot of people out there who think that like environmentalists are like 70s hippies, right? And they're like, that's not who I am. So how do I care about... You know, like when you have stereotypes about the type of person... If you have stereotypes about something and the type of person that cares about something and you don't feel like you fit into that stereotype, you're going to have a hard time trying to do that thing because you're like, I'm not a hippie. Where do I fall into this? So I'm trying to basically educate people and be like, look, this is accessible to anybody. It can be as simple as voting. It can be as simple as a toothbrush. You know, It doesn't have to always be giving up deodorant and not showering to save water and living in a van because you're like, I don't need the resources that a house takes. You can still live your life and sustainability can be woven into the fabric of your life without changing who you are. Environmentalist does not have to be the main part of your identity, but you can still care about the environment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that not only am I introducing people who maybe have never had a real care about it before, but I'm also introducing them to big ideas. So I am aware that people that are much further along in their environmental journeys or careers are following me. So I do also want to talk about like big topics like climate justice, environmental racism, the gendered dynamics of zero waste living, toxic masculinity and the environment, stuff like, you know, things that affect us all. And while I'm doing that, then I'm also introducing those larger topics to people who are in the beginning and who are like, whoa, wait, these are things I didn't even think about. You know, I'm on like a straw. But yeah, it makes sense that, you know, toxic masculinity does affect the environment because men are like, I'm not going to carry a purse. I don't want to give up meat. I don't want to be a vegan. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that because it's perceived as feminine. And you might not have made those connections before, but because you were interested in the baby steps that I was teaching, now all of a sudden you're learning about these way bigger issues that you're like, oh my God, this is completely like a societal issue.
0: Yeah, completely agree. And I like the way you've kind of like progressed or evolved in how you were presenting this information, but there's still an overarching theme of a combination of simple things that you can do to change your behavior, but also let's start educating ourselves about the bigger issues. So I really like that. And sometimes I forget that you don't have like an environmental science degree or something similar to the topic that you're actually educating people on, which I think is absolutely awesome. When I found out that you went to school for art, I was
1: like, oh my gosh, this is great. We're getting people who are, I guess, like drinking the Kool-Aid, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite comments is when I'll touch on a topic that I know is niche. And it happens every once in a while. It doesn't happen too often, but every time it does, I get so excited when somebody will be like, oh my God, I'm in grad school for fill in the blank. And we've barely started talking about this or we don't even talk about that. And I've learned more from this than, you know, I did for my own like grad program. And I'm always like, oh, that's so exciting. (laughs) Like Like, preach. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome.
0: So we're reaching the end of our conversation here, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And I have this lightning round where I ask a series of four questions and you just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. So the first question here is, what have you read, heard, or watched lately that has influenced you?
1: The most on this Instagram? Oh my goodness. I guess the biggest thing would have been, what the hell? After that is when I started really trying to be more natural and everything like that. I would say that Mm -hmm. was, I don't know if it's the latest thing, but it's definitely the biggest thing that has influenced me and overarchingly.
0: Yeah. What's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your work?
1: Oh my God. Okay. This is perfect. If you ever were to look back at my childhood years, and if you were to ever be like, oh, that's a thing that's going to take her on later. And I'm talking like starting in middle school. I always loved, like I said, sharing articles. That's just a thing about me that I've always had since I was younger. I explicitly remember I would go on Yahoo and, you know, Yahoo, their homepage, because that's where my email was. They have all of their. Stories of the day. And so I would read a story that I really liked, and I would call one of my friends and I would literally read the article verbatim, like word for word, and be like, look at this crazy article I read since I was like little, since I was like 12. I would do that. And so that was something that carried on like throughout high school, throughout college. I'd be like, oh my God, I read this crazy thing. Can you believe it? And I would say that that need to share things, that's 110% where my drive, desire, and willingness to find articles, crop, resize, screenshot. And like, sometimes one post will take me 45 minutes to make. Just like not mm. the finding it, the cropping it and all that. So that's, crazy. that's a habit that I would say has helped me significantly.
0: You're sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've received? Okay. That men will apply for jobs that they're only 60% qualified for and that women only apply to jobs that they feel they're 100% qualified for. And Mm -hmm. after I found that out, I was like, oh my God, okay, I need to start changing. And I think before I didn't feel qualified to make this account because I was like, I don't have a science degree. And also I want to mention that when I was going to school, all my roommates were engineers and science people. I was the only artist in the house, so I didn't feel qualified at all. And like once I heard that piece of advice, I feel like that was also something that helped me do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome because I've been saying the word awesome a lot in this conversation. That's okay.
1: But you're just uh, <laughs> also, my all my this wisdom. All <laughs> yeah, my roommates were all men. So I was also the only girl in the house. <laughs> mm, yeah,
0: I've been in that situation. It can get pretty rowdy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also fun, I think. So you didn't feel like you could have the account because you were not a scientist. And on this journey of like starting the podcast, I have learned that you don't need to have a degree to care about the environment or a related degree to care about the environment. And these days we have access to credible sources of information and we can easily share that information. And I think like. Any one of us can be an environmentalist if we cared enough to want to get people to feel the same or do the same or do what's right for the environment. And so I'm glad that you listened to that advice and you are kind of undoing these perceptions of or these stereotypes of who is an environmentalist, which is really one of the goals of this podcast. So thank you for sharing that. So the final question is,
1: What is your superpower? What is my superpower? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. My superpower is reading fast. That is your superpower. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Since I was in middle school, I was reading at a college level. I read ridiculously fast and I have a really high retention rate. My mom made me read a lot when I was younger. And Mm. since I was little, she read with me all the time. And so I read books five, six, and seven of Harry Potter in like one night each. No. Yeah. And then, like, I had my aunt, she gave me this book and it wasn't, it was probably like 200 and something pages. And then she gave it to me. She's like, I think you like this book. And this was maybe when I was like 17. And so then I was like, okay, I read it and I gave it back to her like a couple hours later. And she was like, what, you didn't want it? And I was like, no, I read it. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, I read it. And she was like, no, you didn't. And I told her the entire thing. And she's like, it took me two weeks to finish that. And Yeah. My roommates would get mad because they would show me something and to them, it felt like I glanced at it, but I read everything and I would tell them like, okay, that's my superpower. Reading really quickly. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I want that superpower. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that cool. People don't, I don't know, people would be like, you didn't actually read that. I'm like, yes, I did. (laughs) It's useful, but it's not flashy.
0: Yeah. I can see how it can get annoying where people are just like, you didn't read that. You're like, yes, I
1: did. (laughs) But it is useful with this because I can read articles quickly and determine if they're relevant to what I need or not.
0: Yeah. And I really like the information that you present. Usually whenever I read the content that you share, I haven't read it anywhere else. So you do a lot of digging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You do your research. (laughs) Wow.
1: Where can we follow your work? On Instagram. The Instagram handle is at go green, save green. Just one word, no underscores or anything. Just at go green, save green.
0: Okay, cool. And we'll include it in the show notes as well.
1: Cool. So before we go, oh. is there anything else you would like to add? Yes. Final thing is definitely, if you are interested in working with people, reach out with them. One thing I learned in this account is that I've never been the type of person to like go and just reach out to people or anything like that. But people have reached out to me and I've made some awesome connections. And I think that that's something I've also learned. So I would say, reach out to people and say something more than hi. Give them something of substance and be like, hey, I'm interested in X, Y, Z. And you'd be surprised how far you'd get with like a good chunk of inquiries.
0: Yeah, I think that's one thing I'm finding to appreciate as I'm reaching out to people on Instagram and just also in general is... I don't know why each time I'm really surprised when somebody responds. I was like, Wow, you really do care (laughs) (laughs) Which is just, you know, heartwarming for me. And also for many reasons, just I come from a family where we didn't really know what it means to get a degree in environment studies or what a job in this field looks like. And so a lot of my journey has just been reaching out to people I don't know and asking them what they do and learning about their journey. So that has really helped shape, I guess, my profession to a certain extent or the direction in which I've gone into. And I'm just always pleasantly surprised by how willing people are to help. And I really hope that I can pass the buck as well. So You did the same for me, and I really appreciate it. It's been kind of like just a great eye opening experience interacting with you and working with you. So I'm really grateful for your generosity. So thank you. (laughs) Hey, all, thanks for listening to Breaking Green Ceilings. If you'd like to hear more episodes with change making environmentalists, head on over to watersavvysolutions.com backslash podcast. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, if you love the show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like on iTunes. You can also sign up for my newsletter to find out when new episodes are available. And please do share the podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and whoever you think will be inspired by the wisdom of our change makers. I always welcome feedback, so please do feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is also on watersavvysolutions.com. Until next time, keep breaking through those green ceilings.